Hello and welcome to I'm a Fan of That, a podcast about all things fandom told through objects, stories and studies with a bit of silliness thrown in along the way. Your hosts on this journey are Dr Vivian Asimov, public anthropologist and pop culture academic and me, pop culture writer and journalist, all-round enthusiast Holly Swinyard. Join us as we deep dive into the wonderful and wacky world of fan culture, its history, the people who make it up and the way we look at this ever-growing part of our society. Fair warning, we may well talk about some adult themes, use some adult language, and possibly get a bit nerdy about the whole thing. You have been warned. I think we should put some jingle bells in the in the intro. I don't have I haven't even decorated for Christmas. I, I saw pumpkins. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas and welcome to I'm a Fan of That, where I'm definitely not making Vivian laugh before we record, and that's fine, because we're in the same place again! Yay! Oh, so excited. Two in a row. What? I'm very lucky. And not even the same, same place. We went to a different house. Oh yes. my goodness. We have two houses between the two of us. What? <laughs> anyway, this is our Christmas special that we said we'd do, and we are doing, because we are diligent, loyal people. <laughs> And we don't want to let you guys down. Um, and Well, and we're in England, and I think there is an English tradition of the Christmas special. Oh, absolutely. It's a bit different to the American tradition of the Christmas special, yes. which I think we will talk about at some point. Probably. But um, if you are in the UK, you will have watched A Muppet Christmas Carol <laughs> <laughs> at some point in the last however many years it's been since it was made. Um whether you saw it in the cinema in initial release or whether you were like me and it was a VHS tape that was bought by your parents who were obsessed with the Muppets. You've watched it. You've gone to a sing-along. You've dr- done the drinking game. You've seen it. You love it. Yeah. And there's a drinking game? Yes. I don't know this. Uh, the one that I know is to do with Michael Caine like, doing his serious acting. Every time he like... Serious. He does a thing. You'd be like, "Yes, Michael, and take a drink." And yeah, there's, okay. there's several different variations. That's one we do. Um, and yeah, there are various different sing-along versions as well, uh, which are cool. And I tend to go to one every year, which is awesome. The Muppet Christmas Carol is a holiday tradition in the UK. I don't know how it's happened. It's definitely sprung up in the last few years. But a Christmas Carol in general, I would say, is probably one of the most Christmas tradition-y things. Yes. Since the Victorian period, and Charles Dickens decided to be like, I'm gonna make this uh, holiday, festival, whatever we're gonna call it, uh, a thing that makes me money. Yes. Because <laughs> that was basically what he did, cash grab, which is hilarious considering the message of the story. <laughs> Not quite that much. He did actually believe what he was writing, but... Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, he had a whole a whole life of being one of the children working in a workhouse and... Mm-hmm. That's why he hates rich people and the way that society treats children. And that's why it it was a lot of his themed works. We won't talk about how he treats women. That's a whole other conversation. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to go into Charles Dickens. We're not here to talk about Charles Dickens. We're here to talk about Muppets. You just have to, you know, briefly mention the source material. Because actually what we're going to talk about, the actual theme of this episode is adaptation uh, and how adaptations work. But The Muppet Christmas Carol is the best adaptation of A Christmas Carol. So, you know, it's the obvious pick, right? Sure. As far as I'm concerned. (laughs) Some people might say Scrooged, but they're wrong. 
I honestly, I haven't seen very many adaptations because the tradition of A a Christmas Carol being such an important story is a very English thing. Yes. And weirdly, some of the colonies, but not all of the colonies, (laughs) because it's not, it's a thing in America. Like, people wouldn't have not heard of it or something. But it's not as much of a thing. Which is weird, because the Jim Henson Company is an American company, the Muppets are an American thing. You know, they're quite a big sort of, you think of the Muppets, you think kind of all America, right? It's very much part of the brand uh, in its own sort of parody satire sort of way. But, or at least I do. Well, I think it, the the A Christmas Carol itself is very yeah. is very English. And so I think, therefore, the Muppet Christmas Carol was probably embraced Yes. Much more. Again, it's not exactly not present in America. It's just not... For any American listeners, it's a different thing yeah. here. <laughs> Christmas itself is just a very different thing. Yeah, here. we have a very different vibe to it, which was mostly because of Mr. Charles Dickens and the Victorian period. And yes. all of that reinvented Christmas in the UK and what it looks like. It's, and we don't have Thanksgiving, of course, so we don't have, like, knock-on holidays in Yeah, you don't other. have a giant family holiday right before another no. giant family holiday. We just kind of have Christmas and, and uh, sort of a, everything that goes with it is very much the thing in the UK. Like, you get two weeks off and everything. Everybody gets that before yeah. New Year's. Uh, most people do anyway. It's all about getting together with the family. And even if you're not Christian, even if you're not religious in any way, you use the time for it. Like, Christmas is the big one, really. And there's the Christmas markets are a big thing, which again feels very Dickensian when you walk through them. It's very European. Yeah. So, British Christmas markets have kind of... It's a German feel. (laughs) Yeah, so they're they're not British. They're kind of a British version of what the Germans and Scandinavians in Eastern Europe do. But of course, that's kind of how Christmas in the UK was born anyway, because of Prince Albert bringing German traditions Mm -hmm. Habsburg traditions to the UK so you know that's definitely I part of the course I think is you you go to Germany you see what they have you steal it Christmas uh, <laughs> it's the great British way <laughs> go to another country go to another country steal your stuff come, come back, back. <laughs> that's what we've been doing since the Romans what are you talking about <laughs> yeah, it's 1066 it's the, the tradition you know but yeah with the Muppets I think what is really fun about that adaptation is somehow they went you know what we're gonna do we're gonna play this completely straight <laughs> not completely not entirely as straight as the book plays it there are yeah. jokes in the book there are like despite the fact that you kind of feel like it's a very dark story and it is the Muppets managed to keep both the light elements and they then go and they are incredibly honest about the darker bits they don't bother cutting it out or making or playing it off with a silly like little Disney here's the emotional moment but now we're going to undercut it with some sarcasm which is you know I find a lot of kids films do they kind of don't allow the pathos Uh, and the Muppets don't do that I don't think they ever do that though really I don't think they've ever really done that but this particular one you can see it where you go hang on that's the ghost with Christmas yet to come and this is terrifying yeah well because it's that bit where it's it's Gonzo telling the story (laughs) Uh, him and the rat, and that's where a lot of the um, the kind of jokes come from, is their interactions mm-hmm. and the way they're then interacting with the other people. There's jokes everywhere yeah. else as well, but a lot of it comes from them. And when the ghost of Christmas yet to come shows up, they even actively say, we're out of here. Yeah, like, exactly. this is this is too much. And they get out. And then it means that you can kind of linger in that space. Exactly. And it is not... 
a children's film in the way you think of children's films. It is a children's story mm. in the way that you tell ghost stories to kids. You tell scary stories to kids can't talk. Um, it is a a fable, a learn, you know, a lesson to be learned, that kind of thing. But at the same time, it's it's the Muppets, and so it's fun and it's colourful, and there's you know it it manages to draw you in and be exciting mm. while at the same time going yeah but we're not going to we're not going to shy away from what happens when the ghost of christmas present ages and fades away you know it's very sad in that moment it's quite distressing to see him age or um because now on disney plus if you want to watch the full version with the missing song it's there because there's a missing song oh really from the fra- so essentially what happened is there's a theatrical release where they took one of the songs out, which kind of stops the... It's a little bit clunky when they take it out. Because that song is the song of uh, Scrooge as a young man and his fiance, the only woman he ever loved, telling him she does not want to be with her anymore. She loves him, but she cannot live this life with him. And it's the turning point for him as a character, going from being, yes, he likes business and money and all that kind of stuff, and going into this Scrooge that we know, you know. Yeah. And it's incredibly moving, the song. It's a bit naff but like the scene is really beautiful and everybody's crying and she goes and then it's also the reprise that song is at the reprise at the end of the movie Mm. to show that he's come back into love and all this sort of stuff with the world and they cut it out of the theatrical release and it's and then the jim henson company fought for it to be on the dv the uh, vhs release but it's not on the dvd because yeah because disney were like oh no but it's too much it's too much for the kids they won't get it all that kind of stuff you know yeah. It won't play well with a... They're not mature enough to understand it kind of vibe. But on Disney+, Plus, they have it in the extras. You can watch the version that is two minutes longer <laughs> with that song in it. Huh. <laughs> Which is really interesting. And I think it makes the movie better. So if you are going to watch it, do watch. And it was always... I said that I had the VHS as a kid. And I had the version with that song in it. So then when I saw any other version of it, I was like, wait, there's a whole bit missing. Where's, where's the song? Yeah, and it's really strange to kind of have that thing. But it's really interesting that actually, even within an adaptation, there were changes made and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, but the kind of point I wanted to make with that is that each ghost has a moment of really distinct emotional resonance that and the audience is meant to be like, oh, this is, this is rubbish. That's not fun. My emotions hurt now. Oh, but we're happy again. Oh, jolly, jolly, jolly. You know, yeah. it kind of does that up and down. Um, which I think some other adaptations of A Christmas Carol have kind of... There's a, a BBC version that was done a few years ago, which I kind of felt leaned too hard into. Um, and spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen it, if they're going to watch it. Uh, Scrooge being sexually assaulted as a child. Oh. Yeah. And yeah, very strange. Why add that in? That seems to change entirely him as a character. That's yep. not something you could just add to yeah. a person and be like, oh. That... But they wanted to give him, it, to what, me, it more felt... of a reason to be grouchy? Yeah. To be why, the way he is. Because, you know, victims of assault are always so grouchy. Yeah, it's a very, <laughs> very strange adaptation and completely ab- unnecessary to the story when actually the Muppets did it just fine, you know? Yeah. Another thing, and talking about the colour, actually, that I really love, and this is something, of course, I love because it's me and I'm me. Um, <laughs> all the costuming is astonishing, even for the Muppets. It's so accurate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fact that they are wearing colour so often of period pieces, do we not get colour? And the Victorians loved colour. And so the idea of putting colourful felt creatures, well, they're not animals, they're not all animals, they're 
They're things. They're things. Some of them, yeah. <laughs> Kermit's a frog, but like, yeah. Um, into colourful Victorian clothes works because, yeah, and also the idea of pantomime, which is a Victorian, and like the <laughs> music hall and all this kind of stuff, they all fits in together into this ridiculous version. There is a quick side note about pantomime. Um, it's not a thing in America at all. What? Um, and is it just us? Is, it, is it just the it's UK? Just you. Um, <laughs> I think maybe Australia because I've heard some Australians podcasters mention panto, hmm. so I'm assuming. Yeah, I know it's not really a thing in Europe, but it's it's not a thing in America. And I was listening to a podcast. It's a reality TV show one, and there's a star in one of the reality shows who's married to a Brit, and she was featured in a panto. And they found out about this and were reading the reviews and were so confused. And it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard was these two Americans reading about a woman singing My Heart Will Go On and getting pelted by cream pies. And they were like, and it was amazing. And they were like, what is happening? I think everybody (laughs) should be forced to experience panto at least once in their life. Just to understand, I think you understand the British mindset a little bit more. I've never been to one, and I want to go, but it's so awkward to go when you're like an adult and you don't have a child. Nah. To be like, I'm going to show up to this (laughs) child event. Thing is, if you go as a group, lots of adults go as groups. So you're kind of okay. you're assuming I have friends. You come with me. I'll go to panto. (laughs) I love panto. I worked on Panto for a while. We will we'll have to go to Panto together because they do because they do it every year in Salisbury. Obviously, mm. I mean they do it every year everywhere. Yeah. But I always intend to. But it just feels a bit feels weird. A bit side thing to this: one of my my oldest friend, one of my oldest and closest friends, works in the biggest Panto warehouse in the UK, just making Panto props all year round. Oh wow! Um, and her husband has made uh, the most exquisite covers of the songs from the Muppet Christmas Carol just on his own. Uh, they're so funny and I'm just like he does all the voices and I'm like Andy what are you doing this is amazing Uh, I will link it in the show description because it's very funny speaking of show description we should throw a picture of what you were wearing today I'm a Victorian speaking of Victorian clothing (laughs) and bright colours Ollie has come dressed as a Victorian I'm even wearing green and red for Christmas it was an accident but you know (laughs) The only colours I own. It. You did it on purpose. Yeah, totally. I just only own colours in like the green, red and blue kind of muted spectrum. <laughs> so it's like, well, yeah. yeah I, to be honest, I was actually looking at pictures of the costumes to talk about this. And there are several outfits of Gonzo's that I'm like, I would wear the shit out of that. <laughs> I'm gonna, but I'm gonna make that for myself. I'm gonna have it. I'm gonna wear it. And everyone be like, oh, is it a cosplay? Nope. Nope. Just me being Gonzo, <laughs> being Charles Dickens. This is just what I'm wearing to the cafe. <laughs> Gonzo can wear it and be Charles Dickens. I can wear it and be Charles Dickens. It's fine. (laughs) But it's really funny. I really like that they went for this very much like embracing that A, the Victorian period and period stuff in general does not have to be dark and gloomy. Mm. Boring. Even like the Cratchit. uh, The Cratchit? Bob Cratchit? That's Mm -hmm. his name. Yeah. That fact. Kermit the Frog. Um... (laughs) The that uh, Bob Cratchit's family, even they aren't wearing like dull colors. They're yeah. wearing color because that people did, and they're meant to be poor. Mm. But still, it doesn't mean they have to wear drab clothing. And they're obviously wearing their best because it's Christmas and that sort of stuff. Speaking of them, it's the probably the only version where we really get an idea of how direly unwell tiny tim is yeah like every other version is kind of skipped he's unwell he died this version you're like oh shit that boy got tuberculosis or something or like like, in other versions it felt like he had died just because he used a crutch and it was like Mm. that 
is it how disabilities work? No, exactly. It's not that he it's not that he's using a crutch because he has a disability. He has a crutch that means he has, you know, something wrong with him. Yeah. Which the likelihood is because he probably had rickets or something. Yeah. And was probably unwell because he was a poor child in a situation where he could not get help. And that is the whole point of the story. It's not that Tiny Tim is, uh, you know, oh no, he died and it's so sad and now... No, it's that he represents all these children who yeah. are poor and cannot, you know, they need help and people aren't helping them. Like, he is representative of an entire class of children. And so to skip it in most adaptations is bizarre. Like, he is, he needs to be seen that's the whole point. He mm-hmm. wants them to see him. You know, yeah. he says the line. Um, I think they did the people good in church today to see him to understand. You know that Jesus ra- uh, cured the sick and healed the lame. That is a line that he says in the book. It is so important. And just to skip it is like, no, stop. I let people be sad. The whole point is to make people feel sad. The fact that I can remember the quote is astonishing because <laughs> I didn't write I'm it down. I'm very impressed. It's not in our notes. No, I just knew that i probably got it wrong but i knew the basics <laughs> but like i feel that and also you have to give credit to michael kane for being an entirely serious portrayal of scrooge when faced with the muppets and them doing muppet things around him yeah how like how would you not be cracking up like you've got like loads of little rat puppets just singing about the like going to an island in the sun and doing like a little dance H- how you know It was my first act of of Christmasness. Aww. Was I watched this <laughs> like two days ago? Did you feel Christmassy afterwards? What? I mean, we could get into this, but I don't know what that means. And I have I have a friend, and we should get her on the podcast at some point in the future for a Christmas episode once she's uh, recovered from talking about Christmas forever. <laughs> because a friend of mine did her PhD all on Christmas. Wow. And surprisingly still liked Christmas by the end of it. I don't think I would have. But yeah, she, um, and one of the things that she was exploring was when people talk about feeling Christmassy, what that means Mm. and how it actually means something kind of different to different people. Yeah. And I have talked about this on other podcasts before, and I won't get too into it today because we're supposed to be upbeat and happy. But um, I, I've i never been a huge fan of Christmas. It's never been my favorite holiday. I don't hate it. I'm not scroogey about it. Yeah. Like, people can have their fun. I'm not going to, like, bemoan it. And I don't hate Christmas. I enjoy my time when I'm with it. But it's not my favorite, primarily because a lot of the social stress yeah. of Christmas and the social stress of feeling happy like, you can't just pretend to be happy to make other people happy. You have to feel yeah. that thing. And it's like, I don't know, man. Sometimes I just don't want to. Like- uh, I am a big Christmas person. And I think that's because my family have always done Christmas in a relatively small way. Mm. They've done it in a... Christmas Day was never everybody coming over. It was just the four of us together. And that was always Christmas Day. That's obviously changed a bit into adulthood because... Yeah, you got partners and... Exactly. My family dynamics have changed in various different ways. And, but still, most Christmases, most Christmas days are family affairs. That's it. We aren't doing a big thing. Not every year, obviously. But, you know, this year it's just going to be me, my partner, and my mum. Which is going to be really nice. I'm really excited. (laughs) And we've said we're not really doing presents. It's all about food and watching good TV and having a really nice time and just socialising together. And we're going to go to Tintagel. 
mm-hmm. you know, because what's more Christmassy than going to a ruined Arthurian castle? <laughs> you know, uh, The Green Knight is a Christmas film, so I will be watching that. No one can stop me. I'm going to watch Dev Patel do some weird shit. Uh, <laughs> it's a great film. But it is a Christmas film. It's all about Christmas. That's how I like it. I like that kind of thing of... I think maybe because I love things like The Muppet Christmas Carol and I love Christmas specials and it was always like... Christmas Day was always just this bubble of ease and not having to get out of your pyjamas and cooking together and all of those kinds of things that I like about socialising. And because my family are weird and don't like talking to other people. (laughs) um, It's always been quite easy. But not always. There's definitely been difficulties when you have to see extended family or friends or, yeah or you know like you said the social expectations but christmas day itself i've always found very yeah pleasing there's there because there's a lot of social pressures around it and i found that um there, there were times in when watching the christmas carol that i was part of me that was like just let him be like <laughs> let him be just grumpy. let him be. like you're allowed to be grumpy <laughs> like and i know that's not the point the point is that he's a horrid person that doesn't like poor people you're not allowed to do that but like <laughs> But when it was like, oh, now you have to love everyone and bring everyone over to Cratchit's house to have a big celebration. It's like, I don't know, man, just... <laughs> Let him be an introvert. Just like, That's the be, takeaway. read a book by yourself by the fire. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> and the thing, what I kind of... Obviously, it's the story itself is making a big point, but I kind well, of yes. like the idea <laughs> that... I'm putting that to the side. That actually, as long as you're kind of, your, you know, you're embracing the... I'm not going to hate poor people part of the story. <laughs> you don't actually have to love Christmas. You just have to be like, Christmas is the time to be nice. Christmas to is the time to not hate poor people. <laughs> <laughs> Take that with you for the rest of your life. Not just hating poor people is not just for Christmas. Only during December. <laughs> right. So you started this by making what some might say is a bold statement. Some might say is not a bold statement. <laughs> That this is the best adaptation of A Christmas Carol. Yeah. Why? I Personally, I think it's the closest to the book, despite the Muppets. <laughs> um, I think, uh, and actually this was pointed out to me in a little mini video essay that Penguin Books did about it, which was really cute, that uh, even visual elements of it are references to lines from the books there is a bit, and I love this bit, so I'm going to steal it from them and put this in our podcast. <laughs> Come You've out. cited your source. Exactly, Penguin it. Books, it was great. Um, there is a moment where you see a shot of a load of lobsters leaning out of like what looks like a coal house. Right. And this is a reference to a joke that Dickens makes in the book about it being, uh, like I can't remember exactly the line, but it's about a lobster in a basement in a coal store and you don't want to be like that. And it's like, this is such a weird right. little random line and it makes no sense. Uh, and I will... Forgive me, I'm sorry. I can remember Tiny Tim's lines, but I can't remember this. Um, <laughs> can't remember the lobsters. But I will link the... It's very short. It's like five we'll minutes. We'll link the um, the video in the Yeah, the penguin one. And so you can go and see it. But I just... Even that kind of stuff, and even things, like I said, the, the costuming, the references in people's costumes to lines in the book are there. Uh, the opening of it, you know, the Marleys were dead to begin with, mm-hmm. is the opening... Well, Jacob Marley was dead to begin with is the opening line of the book. But the fact that they still do that, yeah, uh, and you have Rizzo make the comment about like, "Wow, that's a really good open, spooky," you know. Yeah, and you have this kind of that kind of. I love the riffing with uh, Gonzo and Rizzo throughout it because Gonzo is literally reading the book. Yeah, and you know, there's more of gravy than of grave about you. Is it's a funny joke, and it's in the book. You know, these are all wonderful little references. He's they're not 
they're not going, we're going to retell this story with Muppets and we're going to parody it. They're going, we are going to tell a Christmas carol and it just happens to be we're telling it with Muppets. It's just Kermit the Frog. Exactly. <laughs> like, And I think there is also something in, and there is something in the fact that it's the first Muppet film that was made after Jim Henson died and there's obviously a lot of love and uh, family affection and wanting to do something that he would be proud of with uh, his son Brian. Which and also his son Kermit, obviously Kermit's his son. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, but like, there's definitely like that kind of I think adds into it that there was like something behind making this that feels like they really wanted to tell a beautiful story. Mm. Because while Muppet Treasure Island is also relatively close to the book, they play around with it more and they change more stuff to have more fun with it. Because Muppet Treasure Island is nowhere, it's still very good, but it is not as close as adaptation as Muppet Christmas Carol is. And I think there are very few, like that BBC version of Christmas Carol I was talking about, very few versions that feel safe in just telling the story as it is without having to uh, bring something new for an audience or needing to change it up or whatever. That being said, adaptation doesn't need to be perfect. I think one of the best adaptations of The Taming of the Shrew is 10 Things I Hate About You. (laughs) It's great, and it changes the gaping issue with the Taming of the Shrew is that it was written in a period where women were hated. I mean, even more it so was than now. called the Shrew. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Like, where they basically beat her into submission. Um, so, like, Ten Things I Hate About You is a great adaptation of a story, much like The Lion King. You know, these are... <laughs> you can adapt Shakespeare as much as you want, and Shakespeare was adapting other stories anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is the thing. It's like, adaptation doesn't need to be perfect, it shouldn't be perfect. You're moving from thing to thing, medium to medium, not thing to thing. Uh, and um, But I do think that the way that they do it at the Christmas Carol, there's a lot of hand gestures going on that you guys can't see, um, is um, they take the elements and work out how to translate it. There is an element of... I think the translation is very pleasing. I think that's the mm. difference. Is that sometimes if you look at things like um, how, say, things like The Hunger Games and stuff were ad- adapted into film and stuff went missing and little pieces of uh, information from the books that kind of just added something to a character. You know, yeah. you can't keep everything. And what I think with Chris's Carol, it does help that it's a short story. Yes. Uh, and it also helps that Dickens is a very descriptive writer. He is a big one on visual description. And so you're able to translate that into this magical world. And I think the fact that it's Christmas allows... At Christmas, we allow for a lot more magical realism in our lives than we do, say, around other periods. Halloween, no. But, like, you know what I mean. (laughs) You know, if you're looking at an adaptation of a book, a Christmas book is going to be... You're going to go, Muppets, sure, why not? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one because obviously adaptation doesn't always work. Yeah. So I probably should have prior to us recording this um, also watched Muppet Treasure Island because that was the Muppet adaptation that I had seen when I was a kid. That's great. But I haven't seen it since, Mm. and I would be interested to see if it's as straight. That is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Like if it's as as in the same way as this one is and and how true it is, but Mm. also how kind of straight they play it and direct. Personally, for me, it isn't as straight and direct, Mm. but at the same time, it, oh, I'm going to say something controversial and we're going to get things. It is a better adaptation of Treasure Island than Treasure Planet is. Oh. It is closer to the book. It allows for the fear. That book is scary. 
That book is really scary. You genuinely believe people are going to die, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is the reason that the prequel TV series that was made, Black Sails, is as dark as it is because the book is dark. It's about pirates and it's not like playing up piracy as this idea. And I think Muppet Treasure, Treasure Island manages to maintain some of that but they do have to lighten it a bit and so yeah. the bits that they don't play straight are very much brought back up to a height because you can't you can't have torture and murder and people being driven mad by being left on islands and all that kind of stuff quite the same way for children as which is why again i have some small large issues with treasure planet is because again the bits that are meant to be dark and are meant to make you go oh my goodness these people are in danger they play for jokes mm. and you don't quite get the same vibe it's still very good but like i think that the much like muppet christmas carol muppet treasure island keeps some of the depth of that darkness better um but also making miss piggy ben gunn was the greatest choice of all time so you know it's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> I find it interesting, and I have not prepped you for this, so I apologize. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I'm all out of tea. You would not prep I, me. I should refill our tea in between. <laughs> um, maybe I can leave you if you need to have thoughts while I go <laughs> refill tea. But we did an episode near the end of this season where we talked about reboots. Yes. And I always find it interesting that it's a reboot rather than an adaptation. Yeah, that's an interesting comment. Is that because an adaptation is... Like, does it require a book for yeah. it to be an adaptation? But Shakespeare is adapted, and that yeah. wasn't a book. No. And also, like, you can adapt a TV show into a film, or vice versa. So, like, a uh, Snowpiercer film, also Snowpiercer mm. TV series based on Snowpiercer book. These are all adaptations of the same story, yeah. told slightly differently. So I think... I don't think reboot's the right word. I think reboot, if you're talking about things like DC Comics going, hey, we're going to just reboot the whole comics and stuff. Sure, that's yeah. one thing. I'm going to, you know, uh, that kind of... Uh, <laughs> I think if you're going to talk about reboots, then that's one thing. Yeah, Adaptation is not a reboot. And I don't know why we keep... Because thinking about Vash yeah. versus Trigun, is it a reboot or is it an adaptation? I wonder whether it's to do with whether you change medium. Mm. So is it adaptation if you move cross mediums, whether if you stay in the same medium, it's a reboot? Maybe this there is some semantics here. <laughs> <laughs> sure, it was just one of those things that as we were talking about it, especially when we were talking about Shakespeare, it just kind of got me thinking of like, well, I mean, I could imagine another world where somebody is describing a reboot of 10 Things I Hate About You, which is an adaptation yeah. Awesome. Difficult, isn't it? I well, do, I guess yeah. the live-action Lion King would be really interesting, because that's a reboot of... Well, or is it a different... A remake? Remake of an adaptation. <laughs> Does reboot mean that you have to start from... <laughs> we're we're, we're getting gonna, the weeds! <laughs> I feel like this has gone in too many circles, and if we start going down here, we're going to have to cut whole I, sections I out. I need to <laughs> tea if we're going to keep going down this way. It's all right. I'll just do a message from our sponsor, which is... Me. Vivian's house. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you today from Vivian's house. With the clicking clock in the background. <laughs> oh, and a freight train going by. Oh, is it going by? I don't know if it's actually just a big train, but we'll cut this bit. We'll cut this whole section out. 
Yeah, okay. So adaptation, I think it is, I think adaptation, we could probably look it up, but I think it probably means to change the medium of Mm. the thing. So you're adapting it in something else, hence the word adapt, right? Whereas I think probably reboot is more to do with retelling a story in a slightly different method in the same medium. So like the Trigun one is just starting from a slightly different point in the story. Whereas like the reboot of several of the Disney films, which I would call remakes. This is why it's complicated, isn't it? Oh yeah. And then there's also reimaginings. Mm. Maybe maybe it's to sound more pretentious. <laughs> well, I mean that is always a thing, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I feel like possibly it's splitting hairs, but I would say if we're going to define adaptation, it's to change the medium of the thing. You are literally adapting it. But the likelihood of the dictionary telling me otherwise is quite high. Because um, I was, I, I started getting, thinking about, I was at a charity shop looking at books, because this is what I do. And um, there was a copy of The English Patient, but the name as the author was not Michael Ondaatje. And I was so confused. And I was like, no, Michael Ondaatje wrote The English Patient. So I pulled it out. I was like, is somebody trying to like plagiarize The English Patient? Yeah. But it was the screenplay of the movie adapted from Michael Ondaatje. But it was The English Patient by the screenplay writer. Because it's their adaptation. Because it's their adaptation. But it's in a book form, which was what The English Patient was originally. Oh, that's gonna make my head hurt. It's the I levels know. on levels. It's adaptation all the way down, guys. Um. <laughs> but it was just it was one I mean, I just went immediately to Tom and yelled for ages about like the some guys trying to <laughs> trying to pretend he's Michael on Dacha. <laughs> and then you were like, Oh wait, hang on. But uh yeah, I mean it was I'd already seen it, but I was like, mm. Really? You're gonna try to you're gonna try to fake somebody out to buying this instead of the original book but it's interesting when you talk about that because like adaptation can be so many different things like we talk about retellings as well like you know a story particularly myths and legends Mm. uh you know uh fables sort of uh fairy tale type things tend to be called retellings rather than adaptations because you are changing the story for a different audience slightly, but you're telling the yeah. initial... Like, um, I think Laura Olympus is a really great example of this. Laura Olympus is retelling the story of Hades and Persephone, but for an, a very different audience, and therefore a lot of what happens in the story has changed to give Persephone much more agency in her own story, yeah. which is not, not at all how that goes. Um, Persephone has actively no agency in that story. It's taken away from her on purpose so it's really interesting to see that for a modern audience they don't want to see a version of persephone that isn't able to hold her own or choose these things for herself they want to see a a romance story not uh, a vicious kidnapping and rape uh which to be fair you know and again well myths are interesting because Mm. there's different variants even before we get into the retellings mm-hmm. because the way that myths work is that yeah. there are different versions and i've mentioned this many times before i'll mention it again the reason why myths have different versions is not because oral storytelling isn't um good 
it's because people actively make decisions to say, yeah. give Persephone more agency exactly. or something like that. Or actually, what if they just actually fell in love rather yeah. than is raped and kidnapped? Like, yeah. And those choices are made actively by storytellers. And that's why we then have eight mm-hmm. different versions of a story. Exactly. And also you have to remember that many of them will be changed depending on the audience who are there. So if yeah. the audience is uh, mothers with young daughters, the likelihood is you're telling a story for them. Yeah. If the audience is young men, unfortunately, in the time period, mm-hmm. you might be telling a different story. And so you're going to change it depending on your audience. But the version that we have currently, that's the most popular version, I would say, of the current pop culture zeitgeist, which is Laura Olympus, and the other variations of it, is the story of them mutually falling in love with each other. Yeah. You see it in Hades Town as well, right? Mm-hmm. They're still very angry. There's still a lot of issues there, but they are actually a couple who are devoted to each other. Yeah. And so I think there is, that's really interesting, I think, particularly with myths and legends, not to go down too much down the Persephone path, but she's cool. And and it's, what's interesting about starting from that point is that, I mean, storytelling, it's changed mediums, but it hasn't changed vibe. (laughs) Mm -hmm. In the sense that when we're talking about adaptations and retellings, it's the same idea as you have these storytellers who are deciding to make active changes in the original material. But when you talk about things like 10 Things I Hate About You, it's like, is that an adaptation? Is that a retelling? Is that a reimagining? Is that... Yeah. And you get into the weeds of these things. But really, I mean, it it doesn't matter. I mean, we're getting into this because I'm an academic and I love definitions. (laughs) But, like, that's that's not actually important. I mean, it kind of is, it kind of isn't. I think it's interesting when you look at these things because, like, is The Lion King an adaptation of Hamlet? Or is The Lion King telling a story that Shakespeare had already adapted into Hamlet in one form or another that was a version of a story that had been told a hundred times before and yeah. The Lion King is just currently the version and we know Hamlet is the most famous version of that story. Yeah. Um, because, you know... King murdered by brother, son framed for murder, ghost of king comes back and talks to you, is, uh, it's not actually as, you know, it's it's a relatively common kind of piece of mythology. It's happened to us all. Haven't we all had the ghost of our father come back and tell us uh, to change our entire life? Uh, and that their brother murdered them. <laughs> Normal, classic. That's what happens every, everyone in Denmark. We've all been there. Yeah. But no, I mean, I think that, you know, it's that um, the structure of stories that when you strip something down to its basic parts, it's all kind of following the same structures. And when you're a writer, you see these things because you try to map your own story over the top of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. I mean, Mark Twain, we're going to quote Mark Twain, which I also quote in my book that's out in March 2024. (laughs) Uh, There is no such thing as a new idea. It is impossible we simply take a lot of old ideas and put them into a sort of mental kaleidoscope. That's so accurate. There are no mm. new ideas. And so that when you talk about adaptation and you talk about reboots, you talk about retellings and all these different things. And it's why I wanted to do it. It's why I wanted to choose them up at Christmas Carol, because it has this idea of being the best version of a Christmas Carol. And you're right. Why do we pick it as the best version? Yeah. There are so many, so many reasons for that. I think actually some of it is down to nostalgia. That there's a lot of people who saw it as a kid and loved it. I think a lot of it's down to it's beautiful as a film. It's really well produced. It has such a beautiful style. But actually, there are new, no new ideas. So why not retell The Christmas Carol a hundred times? Yeah. Why not go and be like... And to be fair, was Charles Dickens telling a story as old a time as well of 
ghosts coming and making somebody change their mind. Like that again, that's not like <laughs> the ghost of Christmas yet to come is like my brother killed me. <laughs> they it didn't talk, but still, yeah. like <laughs> But you know, like it's not these aren't original ideas coming out mm. of the the magic writer brain or whatever. It's not the the myth of the the creator as somebody who can pull stories out of nothingness. That's not true. It doesn't work. And I think to then argue about what adaptation's the best, what version, you know, all that kind of stuff. I personally think Muppet Treasure Island is better than Treasure Planet. And I will get angry hate mail for this <laughs> because lots of people don't think that. Send and that's your, fine. Send your hate mail specifically to Holly. <laughs> <laughs> Do not send it to the pod because I will read it. Send it to the pod. <laughs> there is no Ollie. There is only the podcast. <laughs> Ollie doesn't exist. <laughs> I think that we could try, I think looking and enjoying the adaptations that we like and feeling a bit Christmassy and all of that kind of stuff, it kind of doesn't matter if you prefer Scrooge over a Muppet Christmas Carol, though I will fight you. Um, <laughs> if you want to go and see... You're just wrong. <laughs> yeah, you are just... No, there is no question that. But like everybody wants to go and have their little, their tradition. And if that means you sit down and you watch a film of the Muppets, that's great. And you're one of the best people for that. I think I'm done. I think I've run out of ideas. <laughs> that's fair. Well, that's it. That's us for this yeah. year. Um, I don't know if we'll do any kind of other bonuses before season two. But we are doing season two. We don't have any plans for a bonus, but we have plans for season two. Woo! We have more ideas than we have episodes. So there's bound to be a season three. Oh, which is good. And I think the fact that people have stuck around... To listen to all of this and have supported us. Honestly, it's astonishing. Oh my God. I do want to say we were at MCM London in October and there were so many listeners that came up and were talking to us and being excited about things. I was almost, I was not feeling well. And so I was already on edge. And then somebody came up and was talking about how it meant so much to them throughout the last year. And it was, I mean, it, they said it was the best thing that happened to them. And I highly doubt it, but I do appreciate the sentiment. And I was almost crying the yeah. whole time. And it just was so nice. I got to see some knitted items yeah. that people made inspired by the knitting episode and it was i was just had such a great time and meeting everybody and it's been so amazing it has and i i don't think either of us kind of thought our little idea would inspire oh, no. people but it, it's been great and thank you so much for listening and thank you for sharing it please continue to do it like yes your support means everything it's the only way we can keep doing it um Getting anyone newly on board, they've got a couple of months to catch up before... And we've got a Christmas episode, so you can just blast it at your family for the entirety of the Christmas season. <laughs> and if you don't, well, I don't I don't know what you're doing. You can all watch Christmas Muppet, the Muppet <laughs> Christmas Carol, and then you can sit down and listen to this episode as a... <laughs> uh, and Addendum. Uh, exactly. Like, the, this is the reading list, guys, for a Muppet Christmas Carol. This is our retelling of a Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> That's why I'm dressed as Gonzo. Uh, you can't see it, but uh, there is a big blue nose going on. Um, there is also, of course, our, our reading list, which I would recommend. Checking yes. out the articles. Uh, and including the video from Penguin Books, which was really, really helpful. And uh, also, if you want to go and watch my friend's very silly Muppet video, I'll put that up too. <laughs> why not? Uh, thank you so much, guys. And Merry Christmas. Have a great time. And we'll see you in the new year. Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening. Remember to like, review, and subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast and do give it a share. Tell your friends, family, fellow fans, get the word out however you feel like you can. You can follow us on social media. Links are in the show notes, as well as some links to further reading for anyone who might be interested. Music for this episode was Nowhere Land by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. This episode was produced by Vivian Asimos and Holly Swinger.